Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everyone, it's Tom here. Just a quick note, we taped this episode of Pack Your Knives with a heavy heart and I just want to acknowledge at the top that we care about the racial injustice in this country and we're sickened by the police brutality that has torn our communities apart. If you're looking for places to support, uh, we have a couple for you to consider that hit close to home. Kevin, uh, my co-host, uh, he shared on his Instagram a cause in his home state, the New Georgia Project whose goal is to register all eligible, unregistered citizens of color in Georgia by the end of the decade. Check that out at newgeorgiaproject.org. And also for me, I want to spread the word about Full Court Peace. It's a nonprofit group based in Fairfield County, Connecticut. It's where I grew up, the epicenter of one of the largest income gaps in America. And that group, Full Court Peace, seeks to bridge previously divided communities around the world through basketball. So uh, as always, we thank you for listening. And um, with that, let's try to have some fun. Tom, what on this earth would you pay $3,000 a pound for? Certainly some better truffles than what we saw in this episode, Kevin. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Aberstrow. Tom, the upset of all upsets this week. Oh, man. Top chef favorite, Chef Gregory, out. Melissa cooking flawlessly, but I I mean, the story is not so much the win as the loss. I am shocked. I am floored. I feel terrible. I, I am... I know what back difficulties feel like. Yeah. Tom, am, I, am I being uh, overly charitable, blaming it on the back? I mean, what, what what is your interpretation? Give us your read of your top pick and top chef favorite, Chef Gregory, going down. Wow. Stunning. Um, kind of got those vibes from the start of the show. He did not look good. He did not look good no. from the flights, the whole – all the confessionals there at, trying to stand up on, the, on his own two legs. I just kept thinking, you know – I can't imagine Gregory's going to go home. And when it hit, I was just like, that just happened. You know, when like, you know, when you like, 
uh, like when the goal, when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the 2016 finals, you were like, that's it's never going to happen. The stars aren't going to align where they're going to come back from down 3-1 and they actually did it. And when it happened, you were just like, this is really happening right now. That's kind of what I had with, with Gregory going down was like, wait a minute. I don't think I was fully emotionally prepared for Gregory to go home. And I, I'm trying to think, Kevin, what is the NBA equivalent of a champion or, or someone who's destined to be a champion, but went out with an injury and just everything fell apart? Like, what is the comp for Gregory having a, a back injury in the finals? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I can think of really prof- like profound upsets, the 94 Sonics losing to Denver. Um, and I was in Seattle then. Uh, but I think I, I just can't, you know, like obviously Scotty back injury. I mean, the Steve yeah. Nash kind of lying on the side. I'm trying to think of one where and sort of an in-game injury just torpedoed the chances and I can't come up with one. Yeah. Right now. It's, it's, uh, this is, this is really hard to wrap my head around is Gregory, not just in this season, Kevin, but in his previous season in Top Chef Boston, um, when May just ran the table there at the end against against Gregory, he had here are the stats, Kevin, nine wins, nine challenge wins in 27 episodes on Top Chef. One out of every three episodes that he was a part of in Top Chef history, he won the damn challenge. He won six quick fires in addition to that. So in 27 episodes, he was a winner on 15 of them. And he was a winner on this episode too. And he was out because I think back problems are a bitch. <laughs> they really are. I mean, I, I hope I hope at some point we can have Greg on this podcast. I want to talk to him about the amazing world of microdistectomies, which I which I endured last August, which was actually a really successful back procedure. But um he will go down. I mean, I mean, what's interesting is what you say, and I was thinking this. This will still go down as one of the great individual performances in any season, um, irrespective of the fact that he did not make the final four. This is, I mean, again, I, wow, I'm with you. Wow, he didn't make the final four? He did not make the final four. I mean, this this wow. is truly, the, the, these are those Sonics. Um, and I just think that, again, we will look back on what was just an absolutely dominating season. I mean, this is someone who I many times says plays error-free ball. And uh, to the admission of the chefs, like this was not a bad dish. I mean, in some ways, were it not so savory and, and, and flavorful and just teeming with with just s- spice and and dominant flavors, he, he might have pushed through. I mean, what was so what was so interesting about this challenge, Tom, was it was the ultimate curveball. This was a discipline challenge, right? In fact, the more savory your food, the more dangerous it is to put in front of the judges. Uh, and I think it was it was a discipline challenge, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the two cleanest chefs, or, or let's say the chefs with the two cleanest uh, sort of approaches in Melissa and, and certainly Valtaggio yep. finished toward the top. But this was just such an – it was an odd episode. I, it was a little bit unsatisfying and as, as much as I think we all love Tuscany. Um, clearly, the contestants were jet-lagged. Oh, my um, God. You know, the, they look just awful. They look the, – like what do you think happened there? Like, what, I mean, do you think they, they, they traveled all day? You've done these flights before, Kevin. Is it is it that they – it looked like they were waking up at the crack of dawn to do this aperitivo. Um and they looked like they were zombies. Yeah, and you saw, I mean, Gregory Gregory is so effervescent in his in his interviews. I mean, I just love I mean, I love when he's talking to the camera on this show. Like yes. he's 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 benevolent, but he's positive and confident and he and just the way he I, I like the manner in which he just kind of speaks about the entire ethos of the show when you get him on camera and it was just like this these heavy eyelids. Behind those aviator glasses, and it was just like this is not a man at a hundred percent. This is not a man at seventy five percent. Again, not offering excuses, but this is not the Gregory we know. I mean, this is Pippin as a decoy in uh, in, in that game six. I, yeah, I against just think, Utah in ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. This is just, this was not a thing. Um, the Aperitivo was was a somewhat interesting challenge. Uh, again, it's unusual that at the finale week 
or, or the finale portion of the show, they cook for a larger crowd. I mean, typically this is the moment in the competition where the arena shrinks as the stakes go up. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had to do this uh, this aperitivo, which is essentially just a bar snack. Um, and, you know, uh, Kevin kind of very on his, his game did that really savory polenta. Voltaggio... Not on his game with the lamb tartare with the gremolata that he just over garlic because he clearly just didn't have much of a game plan after it all blew up. Uh, Melissa, Tom, is just flawless right now. Oof. I mean, just flawless. I- I'm going to beer steam some some muscles. I'm going to pickle them to kind of, you know, give it the required acid. I'm going to work in the, the Peroni beer as part of kind of the steam. I- I'm just – I'm in awe of her game right now. She's got it all together. Um, she never looks stressed. She never looks like she's on the brink of losing it. Um, and she's got, you know, when 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 we go into Tuscany, we know that they have these breaks where they're able to kind of craft recipes and know. All right, here's my homework. I'm going to Tuscany. What are the flavors I need to prepare for? What are the dishes I need to study and master before I go over there? And I don't think you can really prepare for what she had, right? It's a, it's a muscle dish that she has basically pickled, um, and it's not something that you would identify as a super Tuscan dish. So she's creating this dish on the fly in an extremely short amount of time, and um, you know she's not. She's not getting more sleep than everybody else. She's under the same conditions, and yet she seems like she has just got everything together. Um, And by the way, I I should mention before we continue, we're going to have Vince Mancini on on this show. He is the top chef power ranker on Uproxx. And we're going to go through in the second half of this podcast, go through not just this episode a little bit, but uh, the whole season and uh, and go through it with him. He, He, I'm sure, has some... Some takes on this episode, but more so Melissa and Gregory just seemed like they were flawless this season. But with the back injury, Melissa has definitely separated herself from the pack. I mean, I think she's able to pull it off because it's just not overthought. I mean, she has basically, you know, how is this going to taste and how can I streamline the process without sacrificing any creativity? And that's just her M.O. in every single challenge. I mean, with the exception, again, unless she's like, I mean, basically cooking out of a freaking Smart and Fine or Cooler at a summer camp or something. I mean, where she's just left with bagged lettuce. But apart from that, I mean, it's just there's such a simplicity of approach. And yet, again, with with wonderfully complex outcomes. And um, I want to talk about Voltaggio for a second. I was just um, going to uh, say, Voltaggio you think would be the same, but he was really struggling on this quick fire. And you never yeah. really see Mel struggle like this, even though they seem like, you know, kindred spirits in a cooking fashion. He's just not a quick fire guy. And, and I think <laughs> what, what's funny is, is I, you can almost sense, like he's, so, I mean, let's, let's face it, with the exception of, Look, it's helpful to have immunity. You like to win the $10,000 or whatever prize or incentive they offer for a quick fire win. I think a guy like him who's been on the show multiple times, who's absolutely competent in his cooking, he kind of knows it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, quick fire does not uh, – again, other than the material benefits of winning a prize, uh, a cash prize, or I get to pick first, yeah. which by the way – and and, and I mean, shit, Tom, half the time, the thing you get for winning quick fire isn't much of an advantage, as you pointed out statistically, or be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I just think Baltaggio being so technically oriented as a chef, for him, it's just like, he just doesn't give a shit at this point, right? He doesn't do it defiantly. He's not arrogant or obnoxious about it, but it's just so clear that he just doesn't regard winning a quick fire as, 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 essential to his progress and his prosperity on this show like it just doesn't matter to him i'm gonna i'm gonna throw something against the wall oh the lamb isn't gonna work okay i'll just do a tartare oh well it sucked next yeah now now i'm gonna go cook the main event and 
you know, I, I'm going to have a much better focus on the challenge. I'm going to have more time to do the kinds of food that I do. And it's why I thought for the last several weeks, Tom, I think Voltaggio is a sleeper going in to the final couple of episodes. I really do. I think the, I, I think as we get closer and closer, the, the parameters of these challenges, especially the elimination challenges, appeal to his sensibility. Yeah, and I'm sitting here um... – Thinking it's kind of like the regular season in the NBA. Not to say that winning 60 games isn't a good thing for your chances to win it all, but you know, the Milwaukee Bucks won 60 games last year and they got outed. You know, the the was it 2016 Atlanta Hawks when they won 60 plus games and they got outed and and it seemed like LeBron was just like, yeah, 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 you can go win your 60 games, but as long as I show up in the playoffs, we're going to be good. And I think that's kind of the. The, the thing with Brian Voltaggio is there's no real cost if you screw up in quick fire, no. you know? So I think he realizes like if I screw up the lamb, whatever. Um, and, and that's kind of been his MO on this show uh, to, to a comedic magnitude um, yeah. that he just doesn't do quick fires very well. And I want to give a quick shout out to Padma for being fluent in Italian. <laughs> that was wonderful. What was I? I had no idea. I had She's no the most idea. interesting woman in the world. I mean, she really is. She, like she, she just like pulled that out of her back pocket. Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna speak fluent on y'all. And I was like, whoa. So that was that was impressive. And I really liked this. Uh, was this Filippo Saporito? Oh, he was he was charming. <laughs> um, so. It, I, I the, whatever they did in the square, um, it looked like they were sleep deprived more so than ever. And Voltaggio just, you know, he he was once again the quick fire wasn't his thing. Um, Gregory, just to shift to Gregory here, he wanted to do the clams, and I thought it was impressive that he was able to shift in thirty minutes, completely shift the protein to a cuttlefish because the the clams were sandy, and that kind of sucks. Like when you get your ingredients and you open them up and they're bad, like I feel like that's that's not fair. And he was able to come out with one of the top three dishes. Yeah, I, I'm, you know Stephanie's. By the way, looked like I did, the ideal version of Stephanie's is delicious, right? A, a venison gorgonzola and carrozza. I mean, it's just this deep fried sandwich of yummy cheese and meat, mm. right? Um, I mean, the one thing I did is it, I, I thought it was interesting. Do we know that she absolutely had to cut it down and make all thirty sandwiches separately? Because just because the focaccia was uneven, I I'm trying. I would love to you know get her on and kind of ask because I don't. Do you have to? I mean, so maybe some are just a little differently proportioned than others. There's probably something I'm not understanding here, mm. but it was just something I wonder that if she had had a more, you know, had she had more time and sort of just said, "Oh, screw it, we're just gonna, I'm gonna make a full slab and then just cut them in in thirty portions." I, I do wonder if, uh, and, and I'm sure there's an explanation. I just don't understand, but um, it was disappointing. And you know, so Stephanie's kind of interesting because she, unlike Voltaggio, I, I think quick fires are very important to certain kinds of contestants on the show. I think uh, contestants that thrive off of a jolt of confidence. Wow, I'm cooking well. Uh, uh, chefs that are momentum chefs, you know, the streak shooters, if you will, Tom. Although I know that's an entirely different philosophical debate whether there is such a thing as a streak shooter. Um, but, you know, Stephanie is someone unlike Voltaggio, who I think really thrives on whatever energy she gets from from, from cranking out a good quick fire. But, um, you know, Kevin won it. Uh, he, he's really good at the sort of savory, yummy polenta uh, thing. He made he made a great choice. Um, you know, Gregory, as you said, had a great recovery, you know, because at the end of the day, like this, this chickpeas and saffron cooked in beer. I mean, it, you know, you can switch out one shell fish for another and it's going to work. Um, Melissa, of course, we talked about her. It's in a brilliant minimalism with that challenge. But but I find the white truffle challenge to be fascinating again for all the reasons I mentioned, which is it was almost as, as if <laughs> like your strength could be used against you at the judges table. Yep. Yep. It's it's almost like it, it's not your the what here's I had, I had a problem with this one Kevin because you saw Gregory like shave the entire like pound of truffle on his dish and then they complained that there wasn't enough truffle or at least there was not enough flavor so I'm sitting here being like man we paid three they they found three thousand dollars worth of truffles that morning and he's just putting on so much of those flakes, those those white truffle shavings onto his dish. And they kind of dinged him for having a really good dish that was too flavorful for the truffle. And I'm sitting here like, 
man, I feel like we should either have some more powerful truffles or maybe we shouldn't be putting so much weight into these truffles if they can't really come through. No, I mean, I think what makes the truffles special is how mysterious they are. And I think one of the judges beautifully characterized it, which is I think they're very temperamental. If they see an ingredient they don't like, they run away. Like you can yeah. put a, you can drop a freaking crate load of truffles on that stew, but if there are flavors that compete with it or that offend it, um, metaphorically speaking, the truffle it doesn't matter how much shit you put on it. I mean, like yeah. it, you are not going to taste it. And I think that was sort of uh, the sophistication of the challenge. And it's I, I, again, I imagine if you don't work with white truffles, it might not be something you intuitively know. And I mean, that's sort of what did in Gregory. It's not a matter of oh, you can just you know, shave them on top. If there are flavors in your dish that are going to compete, they will, it doesn't matter. You could put a pound and a half. By the way, and I welcome anybody, any listener who knows, like, I mean, Tom, I'm sorry, there's nothing in the world that sells for $3,000 a pound where there isn't a vast underworld slash black market slash criminal operation slash some, <laughs> some shady fucking shit that like that governs the distribution or mining or whatever like i now like someone somewhere has written the great new yorker article or book on the shit like uh, like uh, like um a misha glenny book like the mcmafia book on on like the <laughs> the, 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 the underworld of white truffles because now i'm fascinated i'm sorry you can't just let out a couple of fucking dogs into the woods that can that within an hour can accumulate you know tens and thousands of dollars worth of an, uh, a raw material i hope those dogs are getting shady shit yeah yeah i hope those dogs kevin have some like palatial estates that they like some dog house that they live in because like that is incredibly cheap labor they have they just get these beagles who just it's amazing dig up three thousand dollars worth of gold Think about this. Those and like, who owns that land? I mean, is that like I want to know the story of that plot. I mean, anywhere. I'm sorry, anywhere where there is some, there is a raw material or a commodity <laughs> that they're just that walking sells in the a, park. They're just like, oh, hey. I mean, <laughs> by the way, I mean, you don't think there are freaking armed guards around that lot? I mean, I, I'm dying to know more about the underworld of truffles because, sorry, it's too valuable of an asset for there not to be human beings or human beings and there there's some there's some funky shit going on literally and figuratively um with yes. the truffle market so i this is my new homework like during the during this epidemic because I'm, I'm gonna find out more about the italian truffle underworld yes you um, you mentioned you mentioned kevin white truffle is temperamental and i have it underlined in my notes white truffle is temperamental exclamation point and i i really felt like this with these these italian chefs that they were they were uh getting judged with hilarious by the way oh my god they were amazing nothing that they did was good it was it they were some tough harsh critics um maybe maybe it's just you know um when when you look at like stephanie for example uh the radicchio uh, is one of the top chef great debates is if you go into it um uh, elimination challenge and you know one of your elements on your plate is bad straight up bad but you pr- you told the judges that you were going to have it on your plate what should you do should you mask it should you just ditch it all together or should you just put it on there because that was the plan and uh they hated that radicchio no it, it, it was very interesting you want to talk about the losers first or the winners um oh we, yeah let's, 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 let's go with the losers, losers. Okay, well, let's go with yeah. Let's go with losers. The okay. the Gregory Wild Boar Stephanie with the the Mezzaluna with the Radicchio, um, and Kevin with the meatball. Uh, you know the polpette, but meatball with uh, the onion chestnut. If he doesn't have a meatball restaurant, what is he doing? Like yeah, with seriously. the croquette and the meatballs. I feel like every every round he just makes a bomb. He, he likes meatball. little like he likes food balls. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting because of the three bottom chefs, and that was Kevin's. Uh, Kevin, Stephanie, and, and Gregory. Kevin had the least appealing dish overall. Stephanie made the most specific error, kind of the least appealing ingredient that overpowered. And then, but Gregory was the least truffly, even though he might have had the best. Actually, no, they, I think they specifically said Stephanie was the dish they'd eat again. And I thought that was interesting. So they each, because, uh, you know, one of the things Gail had said is, look, they all made the same error. And the answer is yes, but. Errors of different degree. Again, are you going to send home the chef that 
was least faithful to the challenge, the chef yeah. who gave you the shittiest dish, or the chef who made the most specific and glaring error. And they clearly chose, Tom. They chose. They said it was the least truffly because you know that stew was delicious. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, it's Gregory. Like, the guy doesn't make food that doesn't taste good. I mean, even Melissa's had some stuff that doesn't taste good. Gregory, like, like one of the defining features of Gregory's food is this shit is going to taste good. Irrespective of whether or not maybe there's a little much too heat and a challenge you don't want heat or maybe it's a little this or it is always going to taste good. And to watch him go home for a dish that was delicious but just didn't pay tribute to the to the showcased ingredient was really interesting. Um, whereas you had he was up against chefs at the judges table who made far more fatal errors to their primary dish. And you would say this is kind of top chef. This is the dilemma of top chef is like part of the magic of this show is that they come up with these challenges that you have to excel in the challenge, not excel in cooking. It's both of those things. And he excelled in the cooking. And I guess you can knock him on not putting the truffle first in in terms of the priority of that dish. You know, I think this is a, a, Tus- a local Tuscan dish that he put together. He said he had a recipe or he read somewhere about this wild boar recipe with the polenta and the, um, and the tomatoes, this, this stew. But maybe he tried to just smush those two elements together. It's like, I don't know if truffle is going to work here, but I do know that this is a masterful dish that I can nail and it's Tuscan. And to the same thing that Stephanie I thought it was one of the most the, the most hilarious moments on the show. This episode is when the woman just goes, "You made pasta. I eat pasta all the time. Why are you going to make pasta for us?" And I know that there's there's that dilemma too, Kevin, in, in Top Chef in the annals of Top Chef. It's like when you go to uh, when you go to their home court, are you going to try to play their game or are you going to try to show them something different? And Stephanie had that change of heart of like in the middle of the night, she realized, why the fuck am I not doing a pasta? I'm going to do a mezzaluna pasta, which by the way, there's a beet mezzaluna pasta at, at one of my favorite restaurants. It's Machiolina in South Beach in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Perello, the chef, does this mezzaluna that as soon as Stephanie said mezzaluna, I was like, oh. I, I want to go back to Miami right now. It's an amazing dish. She did a great job, but she was dinged by that that guest for actually making – daring to make pasta when you're in Italy. And I guess maybe, Kevin, what I'm coming down to here is maybe they didn't cook their food. They tried to cook a Tuscan dish that they thought they would impress the du- judges, but it wasn't necessarily a Gregory dish. Like it wasn't something that screamed Gregory and maybe. Oh, see, I disagree. I think mm. it was a fundamentally Gregory dish. I mean, that was the problem, right? I mean, this is what he does. He does like I the wild boar and chocolate stew. In stew fact, yeah. And listen, whatever bitchy guest says about like, I don't know, I don't make pasta. I mean, I think it was the right move for her. She has demonstrated that she really – she has become a great maker of pasta. You know, I, I think, you know, doing a, a, a squash mezzaluna and a porcina brodo um, – mezzaluna means half moon, by the way. Yes. Um, which is beautiful. Like, uh, I, I think it was the right move. I actually th- – I disagree. Like, I think that was the right move. The, the, the problem – no one at that judge's table took offense to her making pasta. You're right. You're right. I mean, what they took offense to was – Hey, radicchio in the old world is really bitter in a way that it isn't when you get it like kind of, you know, charred here and like a salad or, you know, like uh, with a nice dash of vinegar. Like it's not – it's just a different ball game over there. So, I mean, I would disagree. Like I think Gregory made a dish that was entirely Gregory. Maybe that was the problem um, is he tends to go for these sort of deep flavors which are going to compete. Um, you know, Kevin's was interesting. Um he got I, I wondered to the, he got screwed by having the multiple meats. Yeah. So it just uh again and actually I, this is not the first time I feel like on the show and I can't recall, maybe Vince can remember. I, I just feel like someone else has gotten the old curveball from going to the grocery in a in a in a, in a, in a non English speaking country and and you know, not getting what they thought they were getting. I feel like I've seen that before and I was kinda of trying to go through my old notes and I couldn't find it, but I, I feel like um let, I mean, let's talk about the winners because yeah. you know, I mentioned it earlier. It's not a coincidence that the chefs with the two cleanest styles excelled here. Um, Voltaggio, hey, I'm going to do a, I'm going to braise a veal shank with truffle 
chestnuts, which are a wonderfully sort of a lovely accent, but they're not going to, you know, bowl you over. And then I'm going to do this potato foam mm. with the little tr- melted truffle in it. And it's just, that was it. And, and the, it was his cleanliness that allowed him to shine. And same thing with Melissa. I mean, kanji is just such a blank. I mean, it, it looks like a canvas. And it's just this kind of, this. there's this white purity to it. Um, there, you know, I'm going to do some fried garlic, quail like apparently she didn't need the salami. Uh, and then I'm going to use both truffle butter and, and sort of, mm. and truffles themselves. And it, it just, it doesn't, it's not a coincidence. Like these were the two chefs that got it. Is congee like kind of like grits almost, I guess it's porridge. It's a rice yeah. porridge. Yeah. It's, rice, it's, it's great. Like honestly, I always see that like dim sum where they come around with a big pot and the ladle and um, yeah. And, and that, uh, that, that it, screams truffle to me. She's so brilliant. Right. You know, like her and and Voltaggio doing that kind of like potatoey base or a right a grain base to highlight the truffle. I think it's just brilliant. Like when I some of my favorite, like I, I when I saw the potato foam or or that that dish that Voltaggio presented, I was like, yes, I want that. Like I can even taste the truffle when he presented that. So, um, you know, I, I think Melissa is just rolling. You know, she is five wins, and in three of those wins. She also won the quick fire on that day, or at least right. placed in the quick fire that day. And it, I would be stunned if she doesn't win this whole whole damn thing. Um, I'm kind of in my head a little bit because I have seen the trailer for like when Padma says, uh, "You are top chef." She gets like overly exuberant, like she's yes. So- oh, this is so. This is my Eric's theory. He is convinced it's Melissa because the manner in which she says you are top chef is so clearly either an expression of. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. You girl, or yes. hey, somebody who's just had this sort of Cinderella ride. Like it's not a manner in which she would convey to say Kevin Gillespie or or Voltaggio even. Oh like it's it, there, yes. there's a level that is. Th- th- Eric had this theory when she first saw the thing, and I'm absolutely convinced he's correct and you're correct. What see? I agree with Eric, um, and we'll probably bring this up with Vince here in a few minutes. But I think it's also what if it's Steph. What if it's Steph? I mean, let's talk about her for a second. I mean, I know she ended up on the bottom uh, with with the with the the the, reduc- the ridiculous issue, but she has been one of the best stories of this competition for now over a month, and uh, she is cooking with some confidence. N- not <laughs> not overwhelming confidence. She is somebody still prone <laughs> to doubt herself. Yes, She's yes. very self deprecating. But I feel like she is now going into these challenges saying, "I've got a plan." Um, and I think she knows what she does well. Again, I, I like the decision to make pasta, irrespective of what one of the patrons said. And 
because she does it well. I mean, she she makes good yeah. pasta. She is not, I mean, she has not had anything other than resounding success making pasta. And I suspect it will not be the last time she makes pasta um, in Italy. But uh, I'm, she's become one of the great stories. She she is the unqualified underdog as we enter the final four. Kevin. The final four, you have two chefs, I have two chefs. I've got Melissa, 71 points. Kevin is on your team with 52, that's a huge gap. Voltaggio on my team with 42 points, and Stephanie just behind him at 39. So we both have two chefs. You were thrown in the towel early in this fantasy challenge that we have. And Kevin, I got to say... I'm super nervous. Gregory is off the board, does not finish in the final Tom, four. You're ahead by 67 points. I No, no, no. I'm not saying in the in the whole – I'm oh. just looking in the terms of what, – what, what are we giving the overall winner, by the way? I believe it's 25 points. Okay. okay. So you, you, you still have to make up I'm some screwed. serious ground here. Yeah. Um, but in terms of who's going to have the winning chef on their team – Judging by Padma's uh, reaction, I think it's I think it's a girl, and we're gonna go and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this with Vince here in a second. Any last thoughts before we get into uh, our interview with with the top chef ranking power ranking man? No, I, I'm just this is exciting. Uh, I'm still just it's gonna be very strange next week to turn on the show and not have Gregory be there. I don't, I don't know that it's so much it it, it it shocked me. Obviously, it shocked me, but I think it's lasting effects that. His absence won't be felt until he's truly absent. We're going to turn on the that they're going to be rousing out of bed, and it's like he's not going to be there, and like that's going to be strange. You know what? I think we're going to get not a Michael Jordan "I'm back" moment, but we're going to see Gregory again because he's already well, he's already over there or something. Yeah. This is not the same. I, I I want I want Stephanie and Gregory on a team again. I want to see that again. Let's bring on Vince Mancini. <laughs> Ready to roll here. Um, we're not on video, so you don't have to do video. But yet, you have a wonderful mustache. Um, I just wanted <laughs> Thank to say, you. Thank you. Let's let's roll here with this right off the top, Vince. Mm-hmm. Gregory is not on Top Chef anymore. He does not finish in the final four. Was this as shocking to you, Vince, as the guy who is the proprietor of Top Chef rankings at Uproxx? He was probably what one or two throughout your entire power ranking season, and now he's gone. Yeah, I don't think he was ever lower than two. So you know, shocked, disappointed, a little sad, uh, and uh, kind of bitter, maybe a little bit. I feel like he kind of got uh, hosed by the structure of the show a little bit this week. Mm, what do you mean by that? Because I think it was just an injury. I think it was just he had back issues, and he was like, I, I can't do this. Right. But I mean, it's kind of like the NFL where it's like, yeah, you, where you have, uh, you know, 18 games and people are inevitably going to get injured. I mean, if they, they, at least the way they made it look, they flew directly from uh, L.A. to Italy and just threw them into uh, a challenge right away. And man, if you have a bad back and you fly across the ocean and then you start working right away. That's uh, it's pretty bad, Kevin. I think in in uh, in Vince's write up for this week, he mentioned that he is a he's looking for a backyotomy. And you, Kevin, <laughs> you're also coming off a back surgery in in the recent times, and it's success, successful one. So, Kevin, Vince, you have the floor on back issues and the sympathy you have for. All right, so Vince, w- w- which segment are we looking at? Are you is it is this like lumbar? Are you L three L four? Which which your show? Oh no, it, it's lower back. I haven't had, I haven't needed uh, surgery, but I've been, uh, you know, I've been managing with some stretching and yoga and all that. I'm, I'm a huge uh, practitioner of yoga, but I will tell you, the ma- microdisectomy changed my life. What is that? Like <laughs> you're in and out in 45 minutes, they basically stick a laser in your freaking spine, shave off whatever the hell's wrong, or kind of decompress the. I mean, I have lower back issues. I was, I was L3, L4, L4, L5. And like, and dude, I was like, I mean, I was freaking walking four days later. It's, wow. it's insanely, it, this is like freaking science that didn't exist 25 years ago. And it yeah. was just like, I mean, it was, it was like infinitely easier than a hernia surgery. Like it was just like, I was, yeah, I was down for a few days. Um, it, I mean, dare I say it wasn't even all that, like the recovery wasn't even all that painful. Like, 
I don't know, man. Talk to your orthopedist. I am an evangelist now mm-hmm. for the microdiscectomy. Is this is this SponCon? Is are you uh, are you affiliated uh, or is this completely? <laughs> I have I have no endorsements, affiliations. I am just I'm just kind of a fanatic. I yeah. just because I'm I'm like doing shit again. I'm wow. just like I ran a half marathon five months later. It was just like so. I, I highly wow. recommend it. I mean, I've been hesitant to uh, look into any surgical solutions because I'm afraid someone's going to Steve Kerr my ass. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that sounds like it might be a, a possibility. By the way, th- there's nobody more like pissy about Steve Kerr than the orthopedic surgery community. Because like the minute I said, like when he first proposed, it, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to end up like Steve Kerr. And he, I mean, it was it took it took my orthopedist all – like he was just like – he, he he's he's a cool dude, and he was just like, and he used to come all the discipline in the world not to be like, you motherfucker, Steve Curry's like, no, what Steve Curry had yeah. was X. What we're talking about is Y. Um, I was like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Micro disectomy. I have to write that down and uh, take it to someone who knows. Vince, you've been doing these power rankings for how many years? Ooh, I should have uh, researched this before I came on. Uh, I want to say four, three, and- four years. What, why did you start doing it? Uh, I mean, I love Top Chef. I'm like a, uh, a fanatic. I always watch it. And um, I, I, I just was looking for – it's just a fun thing to write every week. Like it doesn't take the the kind of brain power that other things do. And I kind of just get to like riff and make jokes. And uh, it's it kind of like helped me to rediscover – uh, you know, like 2009, 2010 blogging, where it's just, I'm writing just like, uh, you know, like weekend update, update jokes, practically. I'm just basically like writing short humor, which, uh, I enjoy more than doing the hard stuff naturally. It feels like firejoemorgan.com when Michael Schur was writing that. It's just like every every one you write, I just giggle at your nicknames, uh, some of the callouts you make. I'm like, oh yes, he's thinking that too. And one of the things that Kevin and I were discussing just a few minutes ago, and I don't know if you've hit on this in your in your power rankings, but have you seen the trailer for the finale um, where, or at least in the future, coming soon on Top Chef, where Padma says. You are top chef, and she just gets super excited and like kind of mm-hmm. pulls over her emotions and says it. Um, Eric's partner, I mean, sorry, uh, Kevin's partner, Eric. He was saying, I think that was kind of uh, a tell on who wins Top Chef. How excited Padma was. Did you, did you read into that at all? Oh, you know, like I, I don't think that specific promo was at the end of my because uh, I'm watching like the uh, the press cut. You know, I don't want to brag or anything, but uh, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, what a flex! Yeah, Tom, why the why the fuck do we have the press cut? Wait a minute, I, I have to sit around like a civilian and till Thursday night watching my clock. Ooh, it's almost on on regular <laughs> civilian television. What the fuck? How do we? When are you getting these cut? episodes? They've literally threatened to sue me for a million dollars if I share it. So I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about the existence of it. I might have already broken some rules. So, right, you, so back. You, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. So you might I, not I just, have seen. Yeah. Wait. So you're 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 uh, completely in the dark on this. You don't you don't watch the the promos for the following episodes. It might not. I don't think it came up on the. I don't think it was in my in my screening cut. I don't. I don't think. I, there, there's been a couple of times where like one little thing someone brings up, and I'm like, oh, I don't think I saw that in my version of it. So maybe I need to start uh, doing my rewatch on the actual on the actual cable box. Okay. Man, this is a revelation, Kevin. I don't know if we'll ever recover from this. We got to talk to the Bravo folks. Maybe offline, Vince, you'll you'll uh, you'll spill the goods. Oh yeah, your interpretation of shenanigans, as you call him, Brian mm-hmm. Malarkey, the the heel of this season. Did you come around on him like Kevin did this year? Yeah, I have to admit that I did. So, I mean, it was funny because, uh, like, I. I got to attend – I'm doing the flex again and I apologize. But they, I got to attend the, when they did uh, Restaurant Wars and he was the he was the front of the house. So like I actually saw him and I knew who he was and I recognized him. So like I knew he was there and I had a pretty good experience with that. But then it was like six months before the season started and I think I – 
initially reacted just like anyone else watching the show where this guy, he's just one of those guys that has like an unsettling personality where from like 30 or 40 yards away, you kind of look at him and go, okay, this guy's, this guy's a lot and I'm going to keep my distance, you know? Mm. And, uh, but then, you know, but then I, I did come around and I think there was like a conspiracy theory, uh, with him going home uh in last episode with the whole thing where they said they didn't get some of his dishes did you guys get into that at all no i mean yeah but i I mean they made it so clear that it just wasn't a factor in their ultimate judgment and i kind of believe them like i kind of believe them like i mean the shit didn't taste good (laughs) i mean did i mean i mean actually it's it's like the old joke like the food is so bad and in such small portions like i mean like if there were more of it on the table it would have been you know better yeah i mean i think everything in the season has been like the person doing something that they know is a bad idea and then they do it anyway which was radicchio yes yeah exactly so he he did the duo which he knew was a bad idea uh to begin with but like a couple people sent me like conspiracy theories basically where uh, they said that they sent uh him back to the kitchen to try and figure out where his missing entrees were and then they didn't let him come back out and describe the thing that he made which he did actually have instructions that went with that and uh there's even like a clip where it looks like brooke sent his food back deliberately but uh, i don't think i'm wait, that wait, consp- wait, i don't wait, think wait, i'm wait. that conspiratorial but it does exist wait, so break down so were was top chef uh, sabotaging him what what's the <laughs> what's the conspiracy here is I is it I mean, I definitely don't think it was deliberate sabotage, but uh, I don't know. The, the the conspiracy theorists, they make it look like she sent it back and then blamed it on him for some reason. I don't Interesting. I, I, I really took started taking to him, A, because I, I, I appreciate the heel role and he's sort of top chef's most postmodern chef slash contestant ever, but also because he just so clearly amuses Padma in a way that no, and like Padma is not a woman easily amused. Like this is not a woman you can charm or amuse. And yet he amuses Padma. And then I loved, he's got like three words into his disc description and Tom was immediately like rolling his eyes and sighing. (laughs) He makes Tom exhausted and that's enjoyable to watch. And then I was, I was totally overwhelmed when Flam told us that like, I mean, we, we don't know the number, but but and I think Padma or, or Tom made reference to it, too, that like like he's worth all three of us combined. Um, I mean, it, he's he's just there. So there's this funny power dynamic where he is this obsequious, like annoying, uh, always freaking selling his food. And yet, like the guy's worth like tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, someone actually a top chef, chef testant texted me. And said, did you see Malarkey is donating his fan favorite bonus if he wins to a charity? No, all of us chefs are broke. We need that $10,000. And I was like, oh, and I think actually Melissa came out this week and said she was doing something similar that she was going to donate to charity if she wins fan favorite. And there's, a, I think, a $10,000 uh, prize for that. And I think there is this kind of undercurrent of – not resentment, but just kind of annoyance of the fact that he didn't need to be there for his own like business side. Maybe maybe he likes the publicity of coming on to Top Chef, but there was kind of when he was at that judge's table of like, I don't need this. You know what? I'm going to pack my knives and go home. I'm going to fall on that and just go home. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, it was funny. Like to me, if he would have actually walked out of there, um, it would have been more warranted. Uh, in that case, like when when Kevin did the fall on his sword thing, he did like a, a huge speech about what a great guy he was first. Uh, I felt like Malarkey is <laughs> slightly more relatable in the in the sense that he was just like, no, you guys kind of screwed me over in this one. I don't need this and I'm upset. And I'm going to leave, uh, which I don't know. Uh, the, the Kevin's thing where he like grandstanded and then everybody th- just took. What everything that he said at face value was kind of annoying to me. Oh, see, Kevin, you're 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 head over heels for that, right? Because it's a it's the Atlanta bond. Yeah, I have. I'm sort of in the tank for Kevin just because, like, I'm from Atlanta. He's from Atlanta. I love his food in Atlanta, and uh, yeah. But so, I, actually, I was thinking about this the other day, Vince. Mm-hmm. We've done 17 seasons, right? So they're going to have been 17 winners. At what point? Does Top Chef say like season twenty? Ooh, 
we are only inviting chefs that have won a season for the ultimate <laughs> like like so I, like to me this is my fantasy as a viewer and a fan i wonder if those chefs are a too busy don't need it um are not gonna like and then like i'm not i'm not gonna sleep in freaking bunk beds for nine weeks you know like i don't i but this is to me the thing i want more than anything is a season where it is just you you your admission to this season the prerequisite is you must have won your season mm. yeah like the suit like the jeopardy uh goat <laughs> yeah exactly exactly the jeopardy champions yeah i mean i think it's funny because uh it's clear that this show still has such an impact on the chef's business that I mean, this season it's all people that are theoretically already pretty well established. And some of them are pretty rich uh, and they're still doing it because clearly like if you're on the show, it has such an impact on your business that I feel like if they invited back all the winners, the winners would probably still do it. Like they never seem like they have trouble getting people to come back. Yeah, this is what I want more than anything. So Kevin, yeah, because because Flam Joe Flam when he was on our show a few weeks ago, he was saying that one of the things about Top Chef All Stars that's different is that they they're kind of these polished. Uh, they already understand the gamut, like the the whole uh, confessional. They mastered that to not to reveal too much. Have you felt that Vince this season is um, there's kind of we've lost a little bit of that grittiness and that raw. Um, of these up and coming prospect chefs, just really desperate to to win this thing. Whereas this year, it's just kind of more, I don't know, um, safer confessionals, or I guess polished confessionals. I don't, yeah, like the, I, I don't know that the that it bothers me that they have learned the game in terms of cooking, but definitely, you, just in interviewing some of these uh, chefs, like you guys have done, like I think I definitely notice a difference between interviewing them at the beginning of a season and at the end, just from the from the from the experience of having cameras on them all the time and being interviewed all the time like they get so media polished by the end that uh they're like there's such a practiced spontaneity by the end it's kind of like athletes when they get interviewed and they immediately go into uh like athlete cliche mode i don't think any of the chefs are too cliche but uh they definitely I, i feel like there's there's you definitely sense the polish now more than you did at the beginning. And it, and it might, it might take away from the candor a little bit. You went to restaurant wars. Yes. Yeah. Give us the goods. Like what, what, what are some of the things you couldn't write that you want to share on our pod? Go. Ooh, the things that I couldn't write. I don't know that there were, <laughs> I don't know that there is things that I couldn't write. What, what uh, were some I, of the, what were some of the coolest that we, cause we went to restaurant wars two years ago in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh-huh. And it, it was really, really interesting. Cause we didn't know any of the chefs. We didn't, we didn't really know uh, the personalities, but I guess you were, did you, you said you recognized Brian Malarkey? Did you recognize I, all the others? I did recognize Brian Malarkey and I didn't see too many other people. I don't know if I just missed them or they weren't there. I saw uh, Karen and I recognized her, but I couldn't place her like I could uh, Malarkey. But yeah, the, the, I think those were the only two because they were at the front of the house. I didn't see, I didn't actually see anybody else. And uh, did you yeah, get I was drunk I was like in, we did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like three hours and, you know, it was like 45 minutes to get the apps. And I don't know if you guys were. I was there by myself sitting with like a a group of media people that I didn't know. And so, you know, I was just throwing them back uh, trying to get comfortable. I don't know if it was like that for you guys. Yeah, they, they just gave us like a, a bottle of rosé. They were they were apologizing because we just were late and waiting in line for so long. And it was the heat of summer in Kentucky. It was mm-hmm. it was a good time. But I remember just seeing, you know, we Kevin and I cover the NBA and, and I don't get these many of these moments of being starstruck by when like LeBron walks by or Stephen Curry or whoever mm-hmm. it is. But when Padma walked in, I was just like, Oh my God, there she is. And she had these like makeup uh, people just like perfecting her hair and, and her makeup. And I just was so starstruck. I was like, Oh my gosh, she's right there. And who was it? Um, someone was mentioning that the, uh, the people who serve first on restaurant wars um, they get like when the, when the chefs, the judges come to your table, um, 
the second people, the second team to serve actually are a disadvantage because all of the ta- all the people who are eating at that restaurant are waiting around for the judges to show up. Mm-hmm. And so they get backed up on the on their service because the tables just won't leave until Tom and Padma and Gail show up. So did you um did you did you come away from Restaurant Wars being like that was about what I expected or what were the coolest things about it? The food was better than I expected. I mean, the most memorable thing was just having Brian Malarkey as a server where I mean, he actually used that exact excuse uh like, "Oh, you guys got stuck behind the judges." And so when he came over to apologize like he's just so he's just a lot like i don't know how to describe him other than that he's so extra he's he talks like you know four inches from your face it makes like very direct eye contact he's always like putting his hand on your back or like your arm and uh and he was just a lot but then he was also going on about how we were on island time and uh i have to admit like it was crazy how much that worked maybe it's because you know i had like four rum cocktails by that point but i was like oh yeah we are on island time i don't care that it took me two and a half hours to have lunch um vince you actually don't run into that many top chef fanatics in in life what works about the show for you most fundamentally like what like why are you into it the way we're into it i think i'm into it because there is an allowance for letting things happen i think a lot of uh you know non-scripted television like they have a very specific format and they stick to it no matter what happens and they squeeze anything that happens into their format like i think top chef does allow uh for a certain amount of spontaneity and they kind of roll with it but um I like I like I like the judges uh, a lot. They're not they don't strike me as phony. Like Tom to Calicchio is really on his shit, and uh, like you, you can sense that Tom Calicchio has very little patience for uh, like contrived drama, and I think that it sort of extends across the whole show, and uh, it, it makes it feel more real and more natural somehow, and. I like how they don't overplay the human interest angles like you would expect in some of these shows. Like they do it a little bit, but, uh, you know, like I think Melissa mentioned her sexuality like in passing on this last episode and and that's and they just let it go at that. It was like, yeah, cool. Like that's like we, they don't have to – they don't beat you over the head with plot points. doesn't seem contrived, right? It yeah. doesn't seem contrived. Right. Yeah. Yet I also – what's brilliant about it is they don't do that yet. I feel like I fundamentally know who these people are. Like they're able to kind of just let their behavior and their their sort of selfhood come through with their cooking and just their manner. Like I mean that's what's great is – I mean you never want to say you don't care about – the home life of a, of a contestant on a reality show. Cause it's, it's, that's pretty callous. But at the end of the day, like, I mean, at the end of the day, like get back to the cooking, right? Like, like get back to the competition. And, and I don't think you have to be a, again, a callous person to want that. It's not that I don't care about people talking to their spouses at home. And a really good story is a really good story, but you're right. Like they do, they are able to kind of achieve that. And like every reality show has the moment where, the person goes on a Skype call with their kids and then there's like five minutes of them crying because they haven't seen their kids in like, you know, eight days or whatever. And, and honestly, like, shut up. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it's great, but we don't need you don't need to waste screen time on it. We get it. This episode had a lot of American Airlines and Peroni, a lot of American Airlines and Peroni. Um, they Kevin, do you- such a good job with, with product placement. <laughs> like no wonder this show does well. Yeah, they, they'll sometimes have like the uh, Whirlpool like logo and they're like just like showing like a, a dishwasher or something like that. I'm like, oh, wait, I think they just did that. I, I think it was a product placement. Um, they they do an amazing job of, of having story arcs throughout the season where you're playing up how Stephanie is self-deprecating and she has the best one-liners on the show. And, um, you know, you, nowhere in the early on episodes would you imagine that Stephanie would have been in the top four. So there's not – there's not a lot of giveaways in this show. Um, I I can't. I, I guess they got this down pat. Is that they can't? They've got this this figured out. So they they sometimes you think that because they do those little home life 
callbacks, the FaceTimes with Leanne and his and uh, and her family, or, or or Malarkey with the birthday. You're like, oh, they're going home. But sometimes they just catch you off guard. And I just don't think if you watch the first eight episodes of this season, you would expect Stephanie to be in the finals. But here she is. Um, uh, you call her the sea monster. Do you think the sea monster has a real shot at winning this thing? I mean, I, there's always the question of like how much track record counts in uh, Top Chef. Like they kind of make it out like they're judging it based strictly on the the single previous challenge, but you know that like track record has to come into play a little bit. I don't, I don't, I don't see her winning. No, um, she seems great, but she seems like she always makes. She always makes the one unforced error uh, that keeps her from from winning, from stringing together like more than one win at a time. We have a point system on our fantasy uh, standings here. Melissa has 71 points this season. Kevin is at 52. Voltaggio is at 42. And Stephanie's at 39. Based on those standings, who's the most underrated on that board? Do you think Kevin or Voltaggio or Stephanie is the most underrated? Mm, I don't know. Is anyone underrated? I guess maybe Voltaggio, but it's hard to say because, I mean, Voltaggio obviously does well uh, with anything that's more like upscale, which which is why he can just keep losing quick fires and still uh, is always in the top one or two or three at the end. Yeah, we were talking about that. Like, he doesn't give a shit about the quick fires. It doesn't appeal to his sensibility. He's not a guy who's going to throw shit together in 20 minutes. He doesn't do it in his regular life, and he's certainly not going to do it here. And I'm with you. Like, I think he's got a technicality to his cooking that as you get into these more elaborate finale meals where it's not like, hey, tonight, chef, you're going to blindfold you and you're going to cook underwater with only the ingredients you can find in the like the cooler of a guy's pickup truck. But if it's just like, here's this opulent, beautiful, like go pick your meat and like here's seven hours. Um, I, I think he's a sleeper for that reason. I also don't think Stephanie's underrated because uh, I think this show favors people, uh, chefs that have like a specific point of view. And like I know what Brian Voltaggio's point of view is. I know what Kevin's point of view is. I know what Gregory's point of view is. I know what Melissa's point I even know like Jen Carroll and some of the people that were eliminated earlier. I don't really have a, a strong sense of what kind of food I would get if I went to Stephanie's restaurant. That's a good point. It was the pub food, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it was what, the what was yeah. It was like uh, it was like uh, I'm doing American contemporary, uh, <laughs> just up uh, modernized comfort food or something like. It was like t- ten different versions of things we've heard a million times. And she's still here. It's great. Um, okay, so Melissa, it seems like she's the overwhelming favorite. Kevin comes back on Last Chance. Voltaggio is Voltaggio and fascinatingly terrible at speaking Italian. Um, and I'm really excited for the, for the next couple episodes. And I think we're going to see more Gregory here. Maybe we'll get some, you know, vindication from, from the back injury. He just looked miserable on this episode, man. I feel so bad for him. Yeah. That was a bummer. Yeah, it was, it was Pippin-esque. Yeah. (laughs) Um, all right. Any last thoughts, uh, any any picks that you'd like to make here, Vince, for the rest of the Top Chef season? Uh, I mean, I would like to see more Italians complain about the types and ways that people are cooking pasta because, <laughs> like, Italians being mad about food is one of my favorite things. And we got a little bit about we got a little bit of that, but I would like to see more. I wish we had like three more episodes. Yes, yeah, we we've, we're kind of clamoring for. Uh, Kevin and I have discussed about like a, a top chef uncut where they just have a lot more of the judges just being critical of their food. Um, I would definitely watch that show is just yeah. mortified Italians is a great subgenre of, of person. <laughs> and I, I think mortified Italians, I'm with you. Like th- that's something I want to see more of. Just like the confusion, like where they just have a, uh, a sense that, you know, you don't make this pasta shape with that kind of meat and it's just not done. And how dare you, uh, that's or never cook salami ever again. Yeah. Like 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 wholesale condemnation. Not like yeah, a little misstep. It's like you you shall never ever again cook this meat. They really did a good job structuring those. Like they were you know heart to hearts or or like they were gonna say something nice and they're like, please don't ever cook no pasta for us again. We're so tired of a pasta. Please no more. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, poor Stephanie was like, I'm going to cook pasta. And then she just gets roasted for cooking a beautiful pasta. Oh, poor, poor thing. Um, yeah. Uh, we need to find out more about this white truffle industry, Kevin. I am saying, I am convinced Vince that there is like, I'm, I'm sorry, there isn't an asset in the world that is $3,000 a pound where there isn't like some underworld, like shady ass, like just black market. I mean, somebody, so I need to find out more about the white truffle so there's, under Mark. There's a great, I just saw a documentary at Sundance uh, called <gasps> The Truffle Hunters. It's not out yet. And uh, there were parts of it where people were actually like uh, poisoning each other's dogs to keep them off of uh, oh my God. This is what I'm talking about. And so – and then I was just reading a Reddit thread about how much – someone estimated that they used like 20 grand worth of truffles in that show, which uh, I'm not good enough at math to uh, do that. But that was interesting. That would be like six pounds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another another person who emailed me was wondering why they wear camouflage when they're hunting for truffles because like what are you going to do, scare the the truffles away? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, like we need to know more about this. How many do you scour? Like the Top Chef Reddit. I don't do much of that um, before I do these pods. Is like, what is your Top Chef routine like? Is it watching twice? Oh, you got the you got the goods. You get the the presser mm-hmm. uh, screener. So you get that. And then, how many emails do you get? Um, how many people reach out to you? Do you have like I mean, a, a text so- chain with people? I hadn't delved into the the Reddit before today, but I, I like I heard about the uh, malarkey conspiracy, and I wanted to I wanted to bone up and see what people were actually saying, and then so I just delved into the, some of the Reddits, and I, I immediately kind of went down a couple rabbit holes. So I might be back, but my general routine is I, you know, I watch it once and I take notes on who's winning what challenges and what people cooked, and then I try to watch it again just you know like to experience it like a regular viewer and uh and that's pretty much it you know and then people and then i read the comments and read the response the tweet replies and all that stuff i feel like there's like a million people who watch this show every week and i feel like how is there not more media coverage from people like you and and kevin and 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 i it's just i i love this show and i think it's just i i can't believe that there isn't more of us out there which makes us great it makes us you know, have a, a bigger, larger platform, I guess, in some ways. But I love, I love this show, and I'm so glad uh, we were able to have you on this week. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. It was fun. Yeah, I don't get to actually talk about it out loud very often. Mostly, I just have to write it down and hope, you know, hope people read. It was fun. Is what I'm saying. Um, yes. Thanks, uh, Vince. Thanks for stopping by. Anytime. It's great. Enjoy. Uh, enjoy the final. Um... The final stretch. Likewise. Vince, we will, uh, we'll catch up soon. Um, maybe we'll circle back once this season's over, but, uh, for those who aren't aware about the top chef rankings on up rocks, um, Vince Mancini, it, it, it cracks me up every week. It is so good. You got to read it. And all. where can they find your work elsewhere? Uh, you can find me on Uproxx. Uh, and I have two podcasts, the Film Drunk Fraudcast, which is like my movies and comedy. And then I have one that's about The Sopranos, which is called Pod Yourself a Gun. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Vince Mancini on Twitter. For Tom Haberstrow and for Vince Mancini, this is Kevin Arnabitz and this is... Pack your knives.